This is Amara Meets, a podcast where we sit down with guests of different backgrounds and expertise to analyze and hopefully understand current issues. I'm your host, Matt Laveau, sitting down today with Professor Marjorie Cohn, Professor of Law at the Thomas Jefferson School of Law in San Diego, California, and a former president of the National Lawyers Guild to talk about civil liberties in the area of Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. Professor, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Before we get started, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself as an, uh, and your work as an attorney and the law you practice? Yes, I am a longtime criminal defense attorney. I was a law professor for 25 years, and I'm now Professor Emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law. But in my retirement, I work full-time doing media appearances, writing articles, doing webinar presentations about human rights, U.S. foreign policy, the contradiction between the two, and executive branch lawbreaking. And I'm also, I've also written or edited five books. That's interesting. And so let's talk about Julian Assange. For those who don't, do not know, Mr. Assange is an Australian journalist who founded WikiLeaks in 2006 and became world famous in 2010 when WikiLeaks published a series of leaks provided by U.S. Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning that consisted of the Afghanistan war logs, the Iraq war logs, and Cablegate. Fearing imprisonment, he took refuge in the Embassy of Ecuador in London in 2012, but his asylum was withdrawn in 2019. So, Professor, can you talk a little bit about the documents that were released by WikiLeaks that exposed the U.S. government and what the recent ruling of British judge Vanessa Baratzer means for uh, Julian Assange? Yes, what Julian Assange did was to reveal evidence of U.S. war crimes in Iraq, Afghanistan, Guantanamo Bay, and etc. And so WikiLeaks published 400,000 field reports about the Iraq war, 15,000 unreported deaths of Iraqi civilians, and evidence of the systematic murder, torture, and rape by the Iraqi army and authorities that was ignored by US forces. WikiLeaks published 90,000 reports about the war in Afghanistan, including the Afghan war logs, which recorded more civilian casualties by coalition forces than the US military had reported. And they published the Guantanamo files, 779 secret reports about the US government's torture and abuse of 800 men and boys in violation of the Geneva Conventions and the Convention Against Torture. But the most notorious release by WikiLeaks was the 2007 collateral murder video in which a US Army helicopter gunship targeted and fired on unarmed civilians in Baghdad. At least 18 civilians were killed, including two Reuters reporters and a man who came to rescue the wounded and two children were injured. Then an army tank drove over one of the bodies, cutting it in half. And that video portrays the commission of three separate war crimes prohibited by the Geneva Conventions and the US Army Field Manual. So the Obama administration, which prosecuted more whistleblowers under the Espionage Act than all prior presidents combined, looked at the Assange case and decided not to indict Julian Assange because they were worried about the so-called 
New York Times problem. And that is that everything WikiLeaks did, the New York Times did, and Der Spiegel and Le Monde and a number of other outlets. So the Obama administration considered but decided against indicting Julian Assange. Enter Donald Trump. Donald Trump learned about, uh, first of all, let's back up. You said that uh, Chelsea Manning had leaked the documents to WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, and that's correct. And she was serving a sentence for that. But as he was leaving office, Barack Obama commuted her sentence to the seven years already served. And that incensed Donald Trump. It drew his attention to Julian Assange and his administration indicted, filed an indictment against Julian Assange for violation of the Espionage Act with a maximum sentence of 175 years. So after a four week extradition hearing, the Judge Beretzer in London ruled against extraditing Julian Assange to the United States to stand trial on this indictment. But her ruling was very narrow. She ruled that, and, and this is based on expert testimony that came out at the hearing, that Assange was at a high risk of suicide if he was extradited because the US prison system could not protect him. Um, under the uh, 2003 UK Extradition Act, it forbids extradition if the physical or mental condition of the person is such that it would be unjust or oppressive to extradite him. And the judge ruled that due to his mental condition, um, PTSD, depressive disorder, having threatened and, and suicide a number of times, um, extradition would be oppressive due to his mental condition. And she talked about, um, she actually uh, referred to the testimony of several experts, psychiatric experts about his mental condition and also prison experts from the United States who said that since he's charged under the Espionage Act, if he were sent to the United States, he would be held in a maximum security supermax prison, probably in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day. And solitary confinement is basically torture. It can result in catatonia, hallucination, suicide, and he would be subject to what are called special administrative measures or SAMs, which basically put him in total isolation from all human beings. Right. And because of that brutal system, he would be a very likely candidate for suicide. But one thing I do want to say is that all of the other allegations of the of, um, Trump administration, which basically criminalized national security journalism, um, the judge accepted. How, how longer can the UK maintain uh, Julian Assange without the US pressuring them to extradite him? Well, I'm sure the US is already pressuring them to extradite him. In fact, it was kind of a surprise to many of us that she denied extradition, even though it was on this very narrow ground. The Trump administration is appealing the denial of extradition on that ground of the mental health issue. And uh, they are appealing to um, the high court in Britain 
to reverse uh, Baratzer's denial of extradition. Now, the high court doesn't, it, it's discretionary whether they even hear the appeal, they probably will. If the U.S. loses in the, Britain's high court, then it can appeal to Britain's Supreme Court, and the appellate process will take several months. Meanwhile, because of his very, very tenuous, not just mental condition, but physical condition as well, he has some very severe health problems, many of which were exacerbated when he was in uh, the Ecuadorian embassy under a grant of asylum for, for uh, seven years in London and the, the Brit British government wouldn't let him go to the hospital to treat pulmonary conditions and other things without arresting him. So because of his physical condition, he is particularly susceptible to a very bad case of the coronavirus. And uh, there are many cases in the Belmarsh prison where he's being held now, many cases of the COVID-19 um, it's a high security prison. And so his lawyers asked for bond pending appeal, particularly based on the ruling of the judge uh, about his mental condition. And she denied it, saying he was a flight risk. So he is, Assange is still being held in Belmarsh prison in London, pending the Trump administration's appeals. Now, there is another uh, possibility here, and there has been pressure applied on Donald Trump. Of course, he has a, a raft of problems, as we know, um, yeah. but a pressure applied to pardon Julian Assange, <clears throat> actually dismiss the indictment, which he can do, his administration can do. And of course, he only has a week in office. Um, if that doesn't happen, then it's possible that Joe Biden, the incoming president, could dismiss the indictment if his administration wanted to. He says he's going to be very independent from his Department of Justice, from the incoming Attorney General Merrick Garland, which of course, Trump was not independent from his Department of Justice. Uh, Trump thought that the attorney general was his personal lawyer. But uh, so the Biden administration, the Department of Justice could dismiss the indictment or pardon Julian Assange. And when Biden was vice president uh, under in the Obama administration, he called Julian Assange a high tech terrorist. On the other hand, his administration, and he certainly has attached his coattails to the Obama administration over and over during the campaign, if he could be convinced that, look, Obama didn't indict Julian Assange, you should drop the case as well, um, then perhaps he would, uh, his, his Department of Justice would dismiss the indictment or pardon Julian Assange. And Professor, when it comes to exposing the practice of torture in the U.S., has Julian Assange's work helped address the violation of human rights in the U.S.? Yes, it has. Well, certainly the, the ruling of the judge shows how brutal the U.S. prison system is. It's so brutal that they put people in solitary confinement, practically uh, isolate them, can't protect them from suicide. And the revelations that Julian Assange and WikiLeaks made um, contributed to charges against the U.S. officials for torture and war crimes, particularly in the International Criminal Court, um, where there is an investigation pending, and Trump is furious about this, but there's an investigation pending of not just Taliban leaders and Afghan uh, people, but also U.S. military and CIA officials 
for the program of torture um, during the Bush administration, uh, the, the torture and abuse that was committed uh, in Afghanistan by U.S. forces. So this has been uh, this has been really important. His revelations are extremely critical, and um, keep in mind that this is the first time a journalist has been indicted under the Espionage Act for publishing truthful information. Journalists are allowed to publish material that's illegally obtained by a third person if it's a matter of public concern. And the US government has never prosecuted a journalist or a newspaper for publishing classified information. And if publication of national security secrets violated the Espionage Act, we wouldn't know about US government misconduct in the so-called war on terror. Um, the Washington Post exposed the CIA black sites during the Bush administration. Um, and the torture and abuse of prisoners in Afghanistan and Iraq was disclosed by the New Yorker and 60 Minutes. And the warrantless surveillance program um, was revealed by the New York Times. So national security journalism, investigative journalism is really um, at stake here because if this judge's ruling, even though she didn't rule on those grounds, but she accepted in a published opinion, all of the arguments of the Trump administration that go right to the heart of national security journalism, this would be have a chilling effect on investigative journalists in the future, because they would know that if they publish um, evidence of US wrongdoing, US military and uh, governmental wrongdoing, that they might be charged under the Espionage Act the way Julian Assange was. And someone else who was um, prosecuted under this Espionage Act was Edward Snowden, who is another American whistleblower who exposed uh, class classified information about the NSA. It, how is his case different from Assange's? And is he fearing as much extradition as um, Julian Assange? Well, in 2013, just as uh, Chelsea Manning's court-martial was getting underway, Snowden uh, dropped a bombshell into the media, and he, he's a whistleblower. He's not a publisher. Julian Assange is a publisher, but uh, Edward Snowden is a whistleblower, and he, he is a former undercover CIA employee who worked at the National Security Agency, the NSA, and he provided a secret order of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to The Guardian, and it re requires Verizon on an ongoing daily basis to provide NSA information about all phone calls in its system, both in the US and in other countries. Um, and we're talking about the records of millions of US citizens being collected indiscriminately and in bulk, regardless of whether they're suspected of any wrongdoing. Um, so what they're, they're collecting is called metadata, and that is the identities of the sender and recipient and the date time, duration, place, and unique identifiers of the communication. Um, so even though the administration officials say, well, we're not reading the content uh, of your, of your uh, emails or listening to the content of your calls, you can tell a lot by the URL. Um, say that you visited uh, www.com 
webmd.com slash depression um, or uh, repeatedly called Alcoholics Anonymous or a hotline for gay teens or an abortion clinic or a gambling bookie. That is is really a, uh, a real intrusion, that, that extensive surveillance program. And uh, in fact, the journalists who actually published the information that Edward Snowden leaked and revealed, um, won awards, journalistic awards, including a Pulitzer Prize, and their reporting could not have happened without Snowden's courage. Now, there is some speculation. First of all, let me say that Edward Snowden, unlike Julian Assange, is not in custody. He has been given asylum in Russia um, he's actually a lawful permanent resident of Russia. He and his partner just had a baby. Um, and uh, he does not think he can get a fair trial in the United States. And I think he's probably correct. Uh, Donald Trump has been asked to pardon Snowden as well before he leaves the White House. Um, but before he became president, Trump called Snowden a traitor and a spy who should be executed. Now, there are many people calling for uh, the pardon pardoning of Edward Snowden, including Senator Rand Paul. And Edward Snowden has repeatedly said he doesn't want a pardon, he wants a fair trial. And he recently, I believe, tweeted, um, if anyone is going to get a pardon, it should be Julian Assange. So they, they, although they are both charged under the Espionage Act, they are both incredibly courageous individuals. Um, they're, they're indifferent situations. Edward Snowden is a whistleblower who is not in custody. He is uh, living in Russia. And uh, Julian Assange is a publisher, and he is imprisoned in a high maximum security prison in, um, in, in London, having committed no crime, convicted of no crime, but nevertheless being held there during the pendency of the U.S. government's appeals. And Professor, why is it that Edward Snowden sought refuge in Russia, which is the United States enemy on many issues? I think that he, there were, there were several lawyers uh, on his team who arranged for that asylum in Russia, and uh, Russia was willing to give him asylum, and uh, they have apparently been treating him well. So that's why he's there. I don't think he's unhappy there. He would certainly like to come back to the United States, but he is uh, not convinced at all, and I think rightly so, that he could get a fair trial if he came back to the United States. And doesn't this prove that the U.S. executive branch has too much authority, you would say? Well, you know, that's a separation of powers issue, and uh, the George W. Bush amassed tremendous executive power. You know, he had John Yu advising him, one of the torture lawyers, the ones who wrote the torture memos. And uh, that he subscribes to this unitary executive theory, and so does Donald Trump. And, uh, and William Barr is also a champion of this unitary executive, which means that um, the executive has all of the power completely. And in fact, um, commissions and, and uh, you know, the, the many different agencies of the federal government um, could be disbanded by the president under this unitary executive uh, theory. So in, you know, the separation of powers means that there are three different branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial, which the founders put in the constitution to check and balance each other. But under George W. Bush and uh, now under Trump and to a certain extent under Obama as well, 
who did extensive surveillance, who killed people with drones in seven different countries, et cetera. Um, they have, and not that he it, it subscribed to the unitary executive theory, Obama, but um, they have amassed tremendous power, um, perhaps too much power. And Professor, is there precedent to justify what Julian Assange and Edward Snowden did was for the common good of society? Yes, there certainly is. And that's Daniel Ellsberg, probably the most famous whistleblower who during the Vietnam War, um, he was working for the Rand Corporation and he worked for the Pentagon as well. And he had access to top secret files called eventually called the Pentagon Papers, which revealed lies about the U.S. involvement in Vietnam and, the, and that the United States knew they could never win that war. And he eventually uh, turned that over to the New York Times that published it. He was charged under the Espionage Act. He could have spent his life in prison. And because of illegal uh, influencing of the judge, um, eventually his case was thrown out. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And Daniel Ellsberg um, is a real champion of both Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. Um, he wished he had... Uh, Ellsberg wished he had actually revealed the Pentagon Papers long before he did because many people were killed and he thinks that it could have helped end the Vietnam War sooner and ultimately it did help end the Vietnam War. Um, so he is a real champion of whistleblowers who are blowing the whistle, revealing secret government documents um, that, that actually reveal what the U.S. government, the, the illegality of the U.S. government and what it's doing in our name. And Professor, final question. Does the U.S. government have the right to justify national security issues as an excuse in its abuses of torture and surveillance of the American people and abroad? Well, interestingly, I was on, uh, on a panel after the Assange uh, ruling came out on extradition with Dan Ellsberg and Noam Chomsky. And during that webinar, Noam Chomsky said that when the U.S. government cries national security, which it does whenever it wants to get away with anything, um, it really means that the government wants to be secure from the American people. That's what they, that's what national security really means. And so when they say, oh, national security is at stake, you know, we have to torture all these people and, uh, you know, commit all these war crimes, um, that is no justification for violating the law and committing atrocities and human rights violations. Professor Cohn, thank you for your time. It was a great pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for this edition of MRI Meets. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at McGill International Review for more up-to-date insight and analysis of global issues and international affairs.